Welcome to the Mark Cameron Show. We have conversations with people making their mark, discover how they do it, and what the future of their work is. This week, my guest is Joel Enoch. Joel's an award-winning triathlon coach based in Edinburgh who's competed for the GB Age Group triathlon team at World and European Championships. We're going to get into some conversations around discipline, nutrition, and five things that can kill you. Let us know what you think. So, you broke your hand, bro. I know, and I just shook yours. What a nightmare. But it's okay, as I say, we got away with it. it was How did nearly... you break your hand? Oh, why do we have to start with this story? I just was an idiot and punched a punch bag, and uh, I, it just rolled it, and it cracked, and that's that. Okay. And it was a shame, because I was in basically the best swim shape I've been for about five years, and then just had to stop swimming for a few weeks. Because you punched a punch bag wrong? Yeah. Because I had that Rocky moment of just... <laughs> Did you go see Creed or something? <laughs> I had just been to see Creed. <laughs> I should have known better, shouldn't I, really? <laughs> what an absolute doofus. Wow, okay. <laughs> so, you punched a punch bag, yeah. broke your hand. Yeah. And um, that's not very useful because you're a triathlon coach, right? And it's my dominant hand, yeah. <laughs> so, like, the next day I'm realising, okay, it's in the splint and I've got to type. Like, can't really type and I've got to write the set on the board. Yeah. I can't really do that. And I can't pick up my backpack and I can't lay out all of the turbos. Basically can't do anything. So uh but yeah, it was it was fine. And also it could have been much worse. So right. I'm very thankful that it wasn't any worse than it was. And also like what we eight weeks to the day, I think. And uh um pretty pain free now. So wow, it's good. all right. I'm just being careful with it. We didn't just re break it there, did we, on that? High five before we hit record, no? No. I thought I would broke it in the okay. pool this morning, but oh, I keep thinking that I've done that. It twinges and then it's all right. Right. So we're all, we're all good. Good. We're <laughs> so, yeah, you are you go big on sport training. Yeah. You've got a team going here uh-huh. in Edinburgh. Uh-huh. Um, what, what, what do you do? I'm always amazed by this, this group that you go for and that you started and you ran. I've no idea how it got to where it is. Uh, so... I guess some background really. So in triathlon, you uh, you have the kind of just people who do triathlon, and they're they're usually involved in clubs, or they might train on their own. Yeah. Uh, if they've got enough money, they might have a private coach. That's fine. They kind of uh, they they do triathlon. They might not even call themselves triathletes, but you know they like to swim, bike, and run. And then at the other end of the scale, you've got elite performance guys and girls that you'd see on the telly you know the Brownleys or Vicky Holland winning yeah. Olympic medals um, and that's that professional side of triathlon and there's not the professional side doesn't run very deep so you're only looking at sort of I don't know uh, a few dozen maybe like a hundred guys and girls in the world who are making any money from wow. triathlon so it's not like there's not thousands of professional triathletes out there huh. yeah. so then in between the club level athletes at, at one end of the scale and then the professionals at the other end you've got this age group system and you can go to a world championship or a european championship representing your country in your five-year age group um and that means that you know if you're a developing wannabe kind of pro then you can be doing well age group stuff in the kind of 18 category or in the 20 to 24 category or there's a home for you there to start yeah. developing your skills. Similarly, if you're my dad and you get into triathlon <laughs> at 58 because you want to understand this thing that your son's got into, then you can find that you quite like it, develop, and at 
62 go to your first European no Championships way. in the 60 to 64 what? category. Okay. Um, so that's, that's the kind of structure of triathlon. I'd been one of these age groupers caught in the middle, kind of a bit better than the type of athlete that you might find in a club, mm-hmm. but nowhere near ever going to get sponsored or go pro or make any money from it, but loved it. Like in my head, a professional. Yeah. Yeah. In my body, really very amateur. <laughs> and uh, what was that like? Like in your head, yeah. you're, you you love the idea of it, or no? In my head, like... I, in my head, I'm. I'm Oh, this is difficult because it's going to go out into the public sphere but in my head I feel like I'm an Olympic athlete mm-hmm. like the way Olympic athletes talk about what they do and how they do it and their mindset yeah. and their their discipline and the way they structure their lives yeah. that just rings true to me and how I think it's just that, that they sense, do yeah. it in the housing of a body that allows them to perform the best in the world and I for many reasons am nowhere near that Skilled, right. talented, fit, able, whatever it might be. But the way I think feels like the same as what I see performance athletes yeah. is how I see performance athletes thinking. That makes sense. I mean, that that's, comes off really clear from you when you talk and, and when, when you hang out. Like, I, I love that. I really appreciate that. You come over like, this is what I've put my life to. This is how I think, how I focus. This is what I'm interested in. This is how I train myself. This is how I treat my body. This is how... I look at stuff, so it, it doesn't. I don't think it sounds strange. I think that makes total sense of how you chew up, mate. Okay. Yeah. Well, good. Thank you. <laughs> and I guess there was a point for me where I mm-hmm. realised, okay, so I'm doing this age group thing. I've done all right. I'm never going to be as good as I could be. I feel like I've been in the sport for a while and uh, did a degree in sports science and other qualifications and worked as a sports scientist and nutritionist for a while. And I thought I. I want to coach. Like, I feel like I've got this body of knowledge mm-hmm. and I've got something in my head like that's a, a, an attitude and an awareness of how the either the pros work or how people can get the most out of themselves. I want to share that. Mm. I want to coach. So how, how can I coach? Because <clears throat> the problem is that there is, there is no money in this middle bit of triathlon. So I, I felt like I wanted to support age groupers like me who were struggling to find the support they needed from the club system the club system is excellent by the way and especially here in edinburgh like there's some amazing clubs with some amazing coaches doing some brilliant stuff and i have never ever wanted to um tread on their toes or cross over with anything they're doing but i recognize that there was these age groupers that just needed that bit more support maybe couldn't afford a one-to-one kind of professional coach and we're never going to get the sponsorship or support from the governing body so could i produce a professionalized training environment for amateur athletes and that was the challenge could i make it work and the big stumbling block really was i guess finding someone crazy enough to take on that challenge which i got a good nudge from someone who worked for the governing body at the time and um, has been an incredible support ever since and he said look just go on try and do it and then the other kind of logistical stumbling block was that to make it affordable for the athletes you have to cover you have to cover a vast amount of cost mm-hmm. to run something like the squad I run to make that affordable for the athletes you have to find sponsorship to right. cover the thousands of pounds what, in- what are the costs that what does it take cost-wise to- <laughs> um, and predominantly it's facility hire and most of that is pool hire so pool hire is phenomenally expensive. I mean, we have three lanes on a Tuesday okay. and two lanes on a Friday for two hours each week. And that's going to set you back £500 a month. 
Wow. Um, yeah. You know, at the Commonwealth Pool here in Edinburgh, which is a great location because yeah. it's right in the centre of the city and it's a world-class swimming venue. Right. So you've got to find that money. And then you've got... We're in Scotland, so we can't ride outside in, in the winter and in the dark because these are amateur athletes. They work nine to five or okay. through the day. So the sessions are early in the morning, late at night. So we need to turbo train on stationary yeah, turbos yeah. indoors. So where's the facility for that? So you have to hire that facility. Okay. Has everyone got a turbo? Are they going to be able to bring it to training? Probably not. Okay, so we've got to buy a load of yeah. turbos. Um, and then Meadowbank the Athletics Track is shut at the moment, but previously, where are we going to do our athletics training? We do it at the track. Well, you have to... I wanted this to be a professional environment, so I was going to... I wanted to pay for the athletes to come in. Yeah. So that was something that I set up. So I was paying for each of their five pound track entry, you know, every week. Yeah. And all of that is going to total up to yeah. 12 to 15 grand a year to support 15 to 20 yeah. athletes. And uh, if I want to make any kind of uh, income, you have to find someone to fund that. And right. To find someone to sponsor that. And that right. was the big challenge. And that's probably the reason why the setup I have is quite unique because I managed uh, to well I say I managed I feel like uh, God gifted me uh, someone a millionaire triathlete who lives just outside of Edinburgh who wanted to support it brilliant he yeah. gave us the money to make the vision a reality and has continued to support it how long have you been running it now? so th- this is the fifth season right that's class that's really class what when when you were doing that like why why did you go to the bother like what why did you what was it in you that made you think I want to support amateur athletes and get sponsorship and make a professionalized environment you know what why not just become a private coach for some high-flying folks or what what is it in you that made you want to hit this level it's a good question it's fair to say that if I'd have known the work and the stress and the worry that was involved that would be involved I wouldn't have done it, but I think that's probably the same for maybe everyone who's ever managed to <laughs> achieve something that they didn't expect to be able to. Yeah. Um, and you can't see all of those hurdles, so you just have to go into it. The thing that originally motivated that, I suppose, was I wanted to create the thing that I never had. Right. I desperately wanted to be a professional. I still do. I still want to go to an Olympics. Yeah. Why don't you? <laughs> because I'm never going to be good enough but well, you know I don't want to go to an Olympics you. as an athlete that'd be nice you know, I, I, want, I want to be that pinnacle uh-huh. that's not going to happen so I wanted that experience of being as professional as possible taking my sport seriously mm. um, and that was something that I couldn't do because I couldn't I didn't have the, the means and the support and everything but I could potentially do that for other people mm-hmm. and I thought let's create the thing that I wanted yeah. for other people yeah and let's just see if it's possible. And I guess that, that was it. Just could, could I do it? And I think there's a big part of me that when I was younger, I didn't want to take on any challenges because I didn't think that I could achieve anything. Mm. I didn't feel uh, confident enough, like I had the skills, like I was, I don't know, just that I didn't have anything to offer. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, that started to change and I started to realize that maybe I, I could, like there was nothing special about other people I saw achieving mm-hmm. big things. Mm. I thought, well, if they can, then maybe I can. And actually it's not about having the skill, it's about having the attitude of 
you know, how can I go and find the thing that I need? If it's more knowledge or if it's more support or if it's more anything, just if you're hungry enough and you can find the answers to your questions, then you can achieve what you want to achieve. And I just got to a point in my life where I was brave enough to back myself for the one moment to think let's try and make this happen and then as soon as it was happening I was on that train and I was just a passenger almost with everyone else and the first at least two years at least two years were basically a two-year panic attack of just trying to keep up with this thing that I'd started yeah and not fall off the back and ruin the what I felt like I was felt like I was holding the hopes and dreams of the athletes you know in the palm of my hand and like I must do everything I can not to drop them um and yeah the first the first two years were ridiculously hard right so what was it changed when you were younger I mean what what were you like when you were younger then that meant something changed what what was that journey uh okay I don't know good 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 question um I was for whatever reason very I'm very different when I was younger to how I am now very unconfident I guess I'm I'm dyslexic and I'm not dyslexic in a like lots of people have far have have, have struggled with that a lot more than I do, mm-hmm. but it affected my coordination a lot. So my struggle with it was very visual. Um, I'd go and try and play football with my friends and the ball would come to me and I'd swing the wrong leg and fall over. It's that kind of thing. Um, and for whatever reason, I didn't feel confident as a child and as a young younger person. I mm. felt like maybe I didn't. Like, looking back, I suppose, I don't know, just felt like I th- was a bit a bit different to everyone else. That's probably a really stereotypical thing to say. Okay. But I wasn't, I don't know, I wasn't, I wasn't confident. And I was a bit of a, a kind of blue in the wind of life. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I just, you look at old videos of me when I was a kid and it looks like I'm just, I don't know hanging out inside yeah like in my own like little world (laughs) thing going on and anyway I wasn't confident my dad is wonderful we have a great relationship but he was incredibly successful at what he Mm -hmm. did and does Mm. he's an engineer uh, pre pre pre-war historic cars just an amazing engineer amazing skill and I knew I could never live up I felt like I could never live up to to what he'd done and and being who he wanted uh, I don't know I suppose he probably thought I'd become an engineer one day and I, I didn't feel like I could because I couldn't live up to it. Mm-hmm. It's like the Rocky film, isn't it? Like you cast a big shadow. It's, it's that right. kind of thing. Right. Um, so between the dyslexia and the not feeling like I could maybe live up to that that standard mm-hmm. that my dad had set, I don't know. I just I'm not not giving a very coherent answer at all. But I, I was a bit lost. Sure. Yeah. And then, I was a bit what, lost what changed then? What age were you in? Something started to. Uh, so I finished school after GCSEs down in England. Uh, so just 15, 16 mm-hmm. in, in that summer. And then I went to college and I did a sports science college course because, well, I like sport. Yeah. I do that. And then after that, uh, I still didn't know what I wanted to do, still a bit lost. So went and worked for a Christian sports charity in Northampton. Did right. that for a year. Uh, it was good. I had a lot of fun, but mm-hmm. I was still a bit lost. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. But while I was there, I met a girl who I, I started to do athletics. Started to do some track, okay. sprinting. Right. And that started to give me some kind of a discipline. That was the first time I discovered training. 
that was the first time yeah. I discovered this notion of okay, if I put more in here, I get more out. Yeah. If I if that person does it that way and I do it better, I get better results yeah. than they do. Um, if they're doing something and I can't do it yet, I just need to figure it out and I can get to where they are. Yeah. All of a sudden, everything started to make sense. Life made sense through sport. Yeah. I've never said that before, but that's how it feels. Yeah. Life started to make sense through sport and. So first of all, a little bit of trampolining and then this track and field, like sprinting, athletics. I met a girl, she was a bit younger than me, she was just applying for uni and she was like, you should apply for uni. I was like, oh, I'm not, like, I could never go to university. University is for clever people, like, I'm, <laughs> I can't do that. Okay. She was like, you absolutely can apply to some unis. And it was really her who, and years later I wrote to her and, and, and said this, you know, it was, it was her that gave me that, that moment of, okay, yeah, mm. she sat me down, she filled up the forms with me, I sent them off. A few months later, I'm, at, I'm in London, mm -hmm. I'm at an interview at Brunel University, and I'm looking, looking up at sporting idols, you know, who I've, who I've looked up to, who went there, right. and I'm thinking... Who, 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 like, uh, who went there? Uh, uh, people like, at the time, so I was doing track and field, yeah. and at the time, uh, Ewan Thomas was a really like successful 400 meter runner, right. British record holder, and he'd gone there, and uh, James Cracknell, Olympic gold medalist rower, had gone Amazing. there. Okay. These people, I was like, amazing <laughs> oh, they'll never give me a place and I walked into the interview and I was so nervous the most nervous I've ever been in my whole life without any shadow of a doubt I was shaking and the lady interviewing me got about five minutes in and just went it's okay you can you can relax we're gonna give you a place right. and I was like oh my goodness me <laughs> and at that moment my life the angle of the direction of my life changed and so then a few months later, I walk into a lecture theatre and I recognise the guy who's just next to me. And I'm like, who's that? Like, hang on a second. That's Tony Adams, Arsenal footballer. who yeah. literally lifted the Premiership trophy yeah, yeah. about two months before. And he retired and immediately started a sports science degree on the same course what? as me. And, um, and I suddenly was in a different world. And the world that had started to make, to make sense to me through sport... Suddenly, everything was about sport. I was studying sports science. Mm -hmm. I was doing athletics. I was also doing frisbee and other stuff. And everyone around me liked sport. And I started at that point to realize that I could work hard and I could achieve something. And just something changed in me. I think I'd been presented with an opportunity that felt like a second chance. And I, I was only smart enough to know that I needed to take advantage of it. And I was like, right, so I'm going to work hard for the next three years. And right. I wasn't great at university at all. I'm not that academic. But, um, you know, I remember someone saying to me halfway through the first year, why are you doing all this work? You only need 40% to pass. And at that point, already, I was like, yeah, but it's not about getting 40%. Mm -hmm. For me, mm -hmm. it's about how much can I learn? Because I've got three years here. Yeah. To potentially change my life. And as I say, it was only the, dis it was, you know, that, that girl helping me apply. It yeah. was that interviewer giving me a place and then it was just me realizing that this was an opportunity I needed yeah. to take and that turned my life you know massively in a different direction right. to where it would have been before right it's crazy because it it is just like those moments isn't it it's it, you know these things aren't made up of long long-winded journeys it often seems that you can pull it back to three conversations mm -hmm. that like actually have a significant mm. impacting memory um, in your life and and turn all your decisions after that moment. 
forward. I think realising that is really key, actually. Uh Because if we can go through life and realise that every single moment might be a moment that changes something really significantly, life can become really interesting, more exciting. uh, And I think that we also can take advantage of opportunities that would have passed us by if we weren't aware Mm. of them. Mm Mm-hmm. And we can see the potential in things and we can just start to push doors yeah. as we walk down this like corridor of life and see what opens and what happens and where we want to go next. Yeah. Um, the, the issue I see in our society is that we just kind of stumble from one day to the next. I think as, as people, as a society, we just do our thing in the way that we do it. Yeah. And we don't lift our eyes up. We don't look out. We don't engage with what's going on yeah. with us around going on around us and uh and sport taught me that you you know you need to do that because if you want to be good you've got to take advantage of yeah. every little opportunity that comes your way do you, uh, do you think dyslexia has played an advantageous role in part of that process and and i ask this because i've had conversations with a number of people who um are dyslexic who now express an advantageous side to the way that the mind works and and I get very very curious about that um what's that experience been for you looking back on the turning point and on the success now that that you're experiencing I can understand why people say what they say about being dyslexic and having that little thing that you've got to work through when you're young because it's one of those little hurdles, like it is, it is surmountable. For, for most people, it's one of those things that you can go over. You've just got to work at it, you've got to work around it, you've got to find your way through it. Mm. And it's also something that tends to manifest itself early on in life. So it's something you have to figure out. It's like almost an adult thing you have to figure out as a kid. Okay. So it can be really, really formative. For me, it was mainly just a problem, right. like in my life. Like I, yeah. don't, I don't look back at it and then play the fiddle about it, because it wasn't that big. And I also don't look at it and go, oh, it made me. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. something that was a fairly significant issue, I suppose, when I was younger mm-hmm. and something that I struggled with. <clears throat> I suppose one of the things that it's been quite good for is that especially in a... I'm definitely a perfectionist. Right. I strive, particularly in my work and in my sport, like mm-hmm. I strive for perfection. I feel like there is a way to do things and we should always be shooting for that. Yeah. And that can sometimes be quite crippling. What my experience of dyslexia has given me is the fact that, do you know what, I can't spell. And I have to write in public a lot. Right. And I'm going to spell stuff wrong all the time. I'm really sorry. Like I am trying. I have yeah. tried. I'm better yeah. than I would have been. But it takes away that... Uh, notion that today everything is going to be perfect okay yeah it's going to be my best but it's not going to be perfect and actually I think for me that's quite an important lesson I've recently been reflecting because I'm doing a a high performance coaching award and I have the assessment in like 10 days so I've recently been reflecting on my journey such an overused word why isn't there a better one but um anyway life. my yeah like my coaching life uh-huh. and how i progressed through that um and uh, yeah one of the things is that i guess initially i just thought everything has to be perfect this coaching environment has to be mm-hmm. british cycling <clears throat> it has to be team sky it has to be you know everything perfect and what i realized is that it can't be right and it doesn't have to be 
And just the little thing of just knowing that, you know, what my grammar and spelling isn't going to be perfect is actually all right because it just taints it a little bit straight away. So then you're like, okay, it's fine. My best is good enough. Mm. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a huge thing that I think I've experienced through music, which was what are the distinctions between excellence and perfectionism? And it seems like perfectionism seems to show up that if there's one thing wrong, then it's never good enough. And even if it's your best, like your best is never good enough. And it can pull out some good learning, but seems to me that um, the, the attitude of being excellent means that you can you can bring your best, whatever level that is. And as long as you know that that, like, that is the best that I brought, that is the best I could bring there, and I'm going to learn from the mistakes, then actually I can draw deep satisfaction out of that. And get up with more interest, more curiosity the next day, rather than um, being guilt or failure in what my passion has been. And, you, you know, because passion isn't going to cause perfection, is it? Like, no. passion is going to push... I mean, it'd be worrying if you had a perfect environment because then you wouldn't make it any better. But passion, like, you have a passion mm. to improve people. You have a passion to see people get beyond perfect by actually saying we thought this was what it was going to look like. I thought Team Sky was was the best that it could be, but actually I've created a different way that has brought access to these people. Yeah, uh, you've got you've got something like that gets beyond pre- perfectionism. Um, that there there is no about. perfectionism as well right. because you. I think you also you have to realise that. Uh, well, who's rating? Who's rating this environment or yeah. this bit of music or this right. piece of art or this whatever? All right, I might think it's perfect, uh-huh. but half the world might think it's absolutely rubbish. <laughs> yeah. So is it perfect? <laughs> Depends who we're asking. Yeah. yeah. So perfectionism it doesn't exist. It immediately doesn't exist. Yeah. So all you can do is strive for your own excellence for either yourself if it is something personal or the group that you're working with yeah. um, or, or maybe a combination of, of both I think that striving to to do your best and, and achieve excellence is something that, that's a something in my life which I'm sure is going to continue to be a, a little thread that, that runs through my life for, yeah. uh, forever um, how, how does that affect the way that you make decisions then you know you've got to an interest around the decision making that people do and the psychology of that um, how do you go about making the decisions that you make as you're aware of your passion for people and desire for things to be better and better mm. not sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, I don't know whether I've ever thought about it the link between kind of striving for excellence and decision making but I suppose that in my life someone once said to me who I used to work with you can have good better or best right you know it was in the context of nutrition at the time Mm -hmm. I'm gonna have dinner I've just done a big training session do I want good could I make it better is that the best that Mm -hmm. it could be and I think that there's an element where there's probably a, a more subconscious than conscious point uh, process in my, in my decision making where I will always try and achieve that, that best next yeah. step, yeah. whatever that might be. Um, and I, yeah, and I think that that carries into 
very little areas of my life that are quite mundane in terms of uh Charles, my wife, works at the hospital, so she comes home later on a Monday and Tuesday from her shift. Mm-hmm. Um, I could leave the house in one state of affairs. <laughs> I could leave it in a better one, but I'll try and leave it in the best one that I can in right. the time with the energy that I possibly have. Yeah. I will try and ring as much as I can out of every day. Yeah. I will try and make every training session as good as it can be. I will try and eat as well as I can be. Mm-hmm. I'll try and... L- can do I'll try and look after my body as well as well as possible I think it is just that awareness that yeah just wanting to strive to kind of optimize everything as as well as I can Mm -hmm. and that's with individual decisions but then that's going to sit in a context of your whole life so if you obsess about everything to the point that it's just crippling (laughs) pressure your whole life isn't going to be as good yeah so it's how can I optimize the balance between these little tiny decisions that I make day to day the the thousands of different decisions maybe millions that you make every single day and then how they come together in terms of how you feel about your whole life yeah I don't know if that makes sense but I think that that that's probably how how I go about things you know I want I want to go to bed at end, end of every end of every day knowing yep I made the right balance of decisions that today feels like it was the best it could be. And I want to be able to say that at the end of every week and every month and every year and on my deathbed. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly the same. And do you, like, do you track that kind of a process? Um, Imagine, uh, well, I hear people like Jim Collins, like they literally have a plus two, plus one, zero system of, how his day was and then he like stores that up over do you do you track that or do you just hold that innately as this is how my life is working right now how, how, do, how do you work that uh, I think I don't track it mm-hmm. in some kind of a tick box kind of a little bit more numbersy kind of yeah, system yeah. Um, I definitely do hold it internally I yeah. am aware of that constantly yeah. I'm aware of all of those decisions yeah. um and, and to the point that to get that overall life balance, there are sometimes when I need to switch that off. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because there are sometimes I need to take a break from being me. Right. And I have to do that quite regularly. Oh, well, um, really go to have a break from being you? Uh, well, that's evolving as well. So <laughs> it's interesting because, uh, so maybe um, over the course of the, the previous last few years, that would just be, I just need to sit in front of the telly. Yeah. I just need to think about nothing other than what's flickering around the screen in front of me. Over the course of last year, so 2018, I just started to find that massively frustrating. Mm. Like the whole, I spent a year basically still doing it, yeah. but not finding it satisfying. Because I felt like I wasn't, I wasn't taking a break for myself as well as I could. Okay. Yeah. So now how can I optimize the rest? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is crazy, isn't it? I know optimizing, getting away from the, the optimizing stuff. Meta-optimizing. Oh, man. <laughs> Welcome to my brain. My brain is a loud place, Mark. It really is. I'm enjoying uh, hanging out in there right now. <laughs> yeah. This is good. Wow. Uh, nice. um, and so I was like, how can I, how can I do this better? Mm-hmm. How can I relax better? How can I escape better? What do I enjoy doing? When I take a holiday... I don't go to the apartment in Spain and watch the telly. Yeah. I enjoy not watching the telly. It's what am I doing instead. Right. I'm reading. I'm maybe talking to my wife. Or I'm yeah. doing a bit drawing. 
went oh, away okay. for a couple of years ago. I did some drawing for like a week. Wow. So, what? How, so then, like this Christmas just gone. I was like, I want these books, and I want. I got a giant dot to dot. It's like a thousand dots per image per page. What? It's Marvel superheroes, Mark. You'd love it. <laughs> you got a Marvel dot to dot. I've got a Marvel adult dot to dot book. Okay. So there's that, and then there's like I get the same coffee, please. <laughs> <laughs> That they're not that good and they're dot to dot which is appalling isn't it like not being able to do painting by numbers um, and just a few other things that I could start to invest time in mm-hmm. that was that was easy that was simple that was still escapism but that felt like I was getting away from the hustle and bustle of my mind a little bit more while still mm. being productive so yeah I've I mean, I don't still have that much time. It's like grabbing an hour on a Monday and, and a bit of time on a Tuesday. But the other thing is we ban TV Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday nights in our house. Right. Wow. Uh, so, like... You just don't watch it. Uh, just don't watch it. Just yeah. don't put it on. Yeah. And it's, it's actually really freeing. Like, I, I think we've talked before about the idea that sometimes when you confine yourself, you liberate yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's that thing of just going, I won't do this thing. And actually by not doing this thing, I feel freer. Yeah. It's the, I love this idea of um, creative limitation uh, and limiting yourself to produce something more creative. So sometimes it's a technique used uh, using music production or um, where you say, okay, let's try this again, but let's not hit these certain parts of the camera. Let's just take them away. Um, or I'm going to... Like I'll break a string on a guitar and not instantly go to replace the string. I'll try and figure out different things to play and it just changes what you do. So you, you put a limitation on yourself for the purpose of seeing what it creatively mm. punches and pushes out of you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, choosing to switch the telly off, that's a, that's a great one. Right. And it's been all right. Okay. Like it's been fine. I felt this, so this year, this, I talk about this year, uh, we're in what just beginning of March 2019 when I say this year I mean this season so that started you know the beginning yeah. of or mid-October um, and, and this last kind of five months has felt really balanced really productive wow. really really enriching mm-hmm. um, and really the only major changes have just been that that balance in terms of my kind of away time yeah. um, that said one of the other things to get balanced is that I still make sure that there is some time every week where I do just chill out like usually Saturday night I don't worry what I eat and I don't worry what I watch yeah, yeah. and um, I still actually generally make good decisions because then I'm looking forward to the thing that I'm going to choose to watch because yeah. I've saved it up yeah. might not have been able to watch it for the rest of the week right Yeah. and I've got that one opportunity to like eat kind of whatever I want but I've increasingly realised that the stuff I thought I wanted like the junk food is actually not as it doesn't. It's not as much of an investment as actually just cooking like some really nice food and yeah. giving that some kind of time. Yeah. So, yeah, somehow it's precipitated better decisions just even in in those moments. So, mm. yeah. You uh, you have such a commitment to what I would see as like discipline and uh, structure, reflection on how to do things better, and like, I get really curious what the the passion that lies behind that is because um, like it seems you've got a, a huge commitment to all those actions and even to the rest from those actions to restore what like what's the passion for in you what are you doing all this 
for what what you believe in um what do you believe you're doing all this for uh it it's entirely it's entirely my faith so i am a completely different person to the person that i would be if i didn't have the christian faith that i have mm. and feel like i've been saved by jesus dying in my place mm. and if I if I didn't have that faith, you wouldn't recognise me as a person. I wouldn't right. live here because right. I wouldn't be married to the person I'm married to. Yeah. And I wouldn't be doing sport because yeah. the discipline would have been too hard. And I wouldn't care what I ate yeah. because I wouldn't value my body, because right. I wouldn't value myself. Uh, I have an addictive personality that I channel in a very... I think mm. positive way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that addictive energy would have gone in a very destructive right. uh, path. I can't think that I would have a good relationship with my parents. Mm. I think I would have continued to let them down quite significantly. Okay. Um, and you wouldn't know. You wouldn't recognize me. I am a completely different person. It's entirely to do with my faith, and I don't get to talk about that very much mm. because in my professional life, whilst everything that drives who I am as you said and Mm. the squad that I run as part of my work and who I am in my marriage or who I am as a father is is from my faith in in the working context I don't want I don't get to talk about it I don't want to talk about it too much I don't want to kind of you know uh, uh, preach when I should be coaching or or any of those things but it's it's there Um, and it it sits behind everything I do because you know I think some people, I think, look at, at, at religion or Christianity or the, the stories that they might have heard about from the Bible or they might read. And it's like some kind of far-off thing. And I've never felt that. Mm-hmm. I've always felt like it's something that's very, very recent and relevant. And do you know what? If it's true, a, 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 a guy, Jesus, who hmm. was God, died for me. Now, if I was walking through my life just as my life and something happened which meant that someone right there in front of me died for me they pushed me out of the way of traffic and they took the impact from the bus how would i live my life you know if the last thing they said was do good with your life or something (laughs) like that live your life for me how would i live my life well i would live it completely differently wouldn't i and that that's what i feel has happened and I, i want to be able to talk about this far more eloquently than i'm sure i am but i god created me in this world, with the opportunities that I have around me, I would be a fool if mm-hmm. I didn't utilize every single one of them right. and wring the last little bit out of it yeah. and do everything that I possibly could to honor that love and that blessing and that grace right. that's been given to me. I am every single day I wake up and my life is a carefully packaged gift with a lovely ribbon <laughs> on top of it. Right. And I get to rip it open and live it. Why Why on earth would I waste that by not doing everything I could with that gift? That, right. to me, just seems wasteful and foolish and not how I want to be or who I want to be. So do you know what? I push myself yeah. and I make myself tired and I live in a way that is disciplined and that is hard sometimes. I don't right. want to do it. You know, I'm in a great period of my life at the moment, but I still woke up on Wednesday two days ago and just didn't know how I was even going to get out of the bedroom. Yeah. But I did. 
and then I figured out how to get downstairs and then I figured out how I was going to coach that session and then I coached that session and then I had my... Do you know what I mean? Right, right. Just everything you can in service for the greatest thing I've ever been given, which is this life and an eternity in heaven. So, yeah, you, you really take the aliveness that that's brought you and turn it to energy I think Mm -hmm. which is curious because sometimes religion or the distinction of a a faith within that is something that is like a kind of it means I can live however I want or, or it just means I've got this thing to blame for the problems in the world and it's got this way that I can sort of judge people or judge other systems and other other folks um i find it really interesting that you've you've just taken this faith and you've like turned it into energy and turned it into drive and a joyful way of taking responsibility for your life um and what you can contribute to it uh i think it's i think it's really really interesting and you don't hear that an awful lot and i think that's it's really I see people who have a passion for sport and training and there can be this fascinating fusion of where their faith gets expressed through sport or training uh, very clearly and it seems to sort of multiply discipline, multiply um, the hope for results and um, and a passion and a drive for, for other people. So It comes, I think as well, like I, I'm, not, I'm not good at quoting chapter and verse and I don't know how helpful that is to people to be honest. But mm-hmm. one of the few verses that I can quote is John ten ten. You know, I have come that you might have you might have life to the full. Right. You know, and it's not that you may live; it's that you might have life to yeah. the full, like yeah. life being this active, joyful, energizing, <laughs> colorful, yeah. wonderful party carnival of a thing. Yeah. But that's not just going to happen. Yeah. That you may have life to the full. If you put the work in, if you respond to the opportunity that you've been given, and I want to respond, I want to respond every day, I want to figure this thing out as best as I can so that when I die and go to heaven, I can arrive at the pearly gates and God can say, well done, good and faithful servant. Right. Do you know what? You screwed up more than you got right, but... I appreciate that you you did everything you could with what I gave you. Right. Oh. What's the um, the thing about nutrition that you're seeing? Because um, I just hear more and more people leaning towards this now, uh, particularly when health conditions don't have clear uh, medical outs, uh, and people who man trying to manage their life better through nutrition. What what is this? What is the epidemic that's the problem there I might not answer the question directly but I think we're we're moving into a really transitional period of of nutrition um, where we're starting to realize that nutrition is actually something that can make a difference to the health of the nation Mm. and we've probably been too focused on um, treating the sick rather than making sure that people don't get sick in the first place okay and that nutrition is a massive part of that. You know, right. we, it really is true to say we are who we, we are what we eat. Yeah. And 
you know, if you if you want to be a healthy person who lives a really long time and doesn't get sick, then you have to watch what you put in your body. It's as simple as that. I mean, at the end of the day, what are we made of? We're made of the water that we drink, the sunlight that shines down on us, and the food that we put in our body. That's pretty much it. <laughs> so who do you want to be? Because it's going to be governed by what you put in your mouth. Right. Um, so there are at the moment we're at this point where I think people are starting to realize that and they're starting to knock about the ideas of okay so what does this optimal diet look like right. what should we be getting everyone to, to, to eat and the answers that are coming are having impacts on uh, manufacturers and food suppliers that are going to be alienated by those things that we're finding out and so then there's a bit of a backlash from that and then there also has to be a re-education of the public about the importance of nutrition because a lot of people are realizing this, but it's not right. known in the like you know mass um, society or culture yet. And then we have to re-educate the medical profession mm -hmm. because you can go and study to be a doctor for five years and you do yeah two days maybe I think two days on nutrition. Uh, on nutrition. If you're in America, there's um, a few years ago I think it's in 2006 they put together a governmental policy that um, all medical degrees had to teach nutrition. Like they, as a module. Was like, yeah, as, as a module. I think, I think it was... I've, I've, got, I've got two weeks worth, but it might have been okay. two days. And then there was... They decided they didn't, they didn't want to do that. Universities collectively decided that that was a bit too much. So they decided to make it optional. So then this government policy became optional. And then hmm. on a review of that government policy and how well it had been implemented a few years later, it was found that um, I think two organizations had taught about like one hour to their no medical way. students over the course of the entire degree. That was it? Yeah. Oh my gosh. But uh, giving someone a serving of broccoli every day, uh, someone who um, has had breast cancer or prostate cancer you give them a serving of broccoli every day and it reduced their risk of getting that cancer growing back by 30 to 50 percent which is more than the leading cancer drug all the broccoli would would do bowl of broccoli that's it mate but we're not prescribing that right because no one financially wins off of broccoli well, what yeah what so i get that this shouldn't become an either or and there, there should just be more and more and more uh, things that should affect your system from the way you think, the way you're eating, the drugs that you're taking, the way you, the, that you're treating your body with exercise. Why, why hasn't nutrition logically become friends with mm. drugs and medication? Is it the money thing, you reckon? Is it just hard to prove? Um, why, why is it not more common sense? There's, there is a few things there, and, and I have to be completely open as well. You know, I'm, I'm not working in the medical profession, and I'm not a doctor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, my master's degree was in nutrition, uh, yeah. with a particular slant on nutrition for public health. So I have some experience yeah. and knowledge there, and there probably hasn't been a day since 2005 that I haven't, you know, done some kind of research or reading or thinking about mm -hmm. nutrition. So um, there is a, a depth of knowledge there, but it doesn't come from being a doctor. As best as I can work out, there's a lot of just tradition. You know, mm -hmm. things are done. Yeah. Gen things are in a lot of walks of society. Things are done the way they're done because that's the way that they've been yeah. done. So it's it takes a long time to turn those ships around. Um, yeah. 
There's the other aspect that in the medical profession, the types of trials that happen for drugs uh, are like intervention trials. Yeah. And it's quite difficult to do some of those things with nutrition and yes. get definite results that then will change the opinion of the medical profession. And even if you can do a study, you need study after study after study after study on every single issue before uh, before you're going to change attitudes. Sure. Yeah. Then there's also the, the, the money side and the commercial side of, um, of medical care, which is different in the UK to in America. America, mm -hmm. there's a lot of... Uh, you get the impression that there's a lot of lobbying, right. uh, to call it one thing, or you know, financial coercion that happens right. at a governmental level from the suppliers of these yeah. uh, medications. Um, but there is a, there's a company in Germany that have just started to produce a broccoli pill. You mentioned broccoli earlier. Wow. So they've started to produce a broccoli pill because the, the weight of evidence is so significant that people should eat broccoli to help you know, get over cancer or to stay uh -huh. in remission. It's like, great, well, we'll make a pill. Right. People are but, used to taking pills and boiling up a pot of broccoli. But you could, yeah, you could just have broccoli, yeah. you know. But there's no, there's no, there's no money in broccoli. So the, the drug company makes a broccoli pill <laughs> to sell, so that then that industry continues to be financed. Yeah. And you know, no company is gonna, no big medical company is gonna put itself out of business just because there's some, you know, significant research that yeah. actually what we eat is more important and more effective than the drugs that they're. That they're pumping out right. so there's there's that side of things as well but i think it, it you know changing attitudes takes generations yes it takes at least a couple of generations and so you've got to be teaching this stuff to kids in schools you have to be teaching it yeah. in medical degrees and that's gonna take a little while to shift and you know we're talking about stuff that really has come out you know almost in only the last kind of decade yeah yeah, at really kind of general level. So it'll just take a but while the, for attitudes to change. Right, and there's just so many stories about it. So uh, I know part of my own story was with chronic fatigue, and so I had that from age ten to fourteen. They, after a couple of years of me just feeling like the plug had been pulled, they gave it a name. They said, "Hey, you've got ME. I'm like, great, it's got a name. What I take, and uh, you know, didn't have anything then, and you're like, okay." Right. What are the options then? So you try everything because you want to get better. Like I was, you know, twelve, and okay, someone gives you a copper bracelet, says it's going to stimulate something. I'm going to wear a copper bracelet or stick something in my shoes or under my pillow. Let's give that a whirl. Um, and you you try different stuff and and you get open minded because the the thing that you'd rely on doesn't have an answer yet, <clears throat> and. Uh, <coughs> You know, speaking to a nutritionist then, they propose a possibility of what's going on and they say, change your diet in this way, take some of these different supplements, see what happens. And we just had story after story of people who went to see this person and what they can say is, my life looked like this two years ago where I couldn't handle light. I was laying in my bed for nine hours a day. I walked to the end of the landing was was a big deal. I mean, I had that, a walk to the end of the driveway was a big deal some days. Mm -hmm. And I went from that to feeling like the fittest person in the room, um, full of energy, absolutely buzzing. So, and I guess there, it's not that I have some kind of factual evidence of it, I just have my experience, you know. Mm -hmm. um, what did it do? Did it sort my head out and energize me? If so, great, let's do that. Um, and I do. I just get really curious about that because 
there there seems no need to take away from um, the the traditional roots of medicine we have, but this is all just an addition to the system. So yeah, and and it's in addition to this, it's an addition to the system which is going to save the system. Yeah, because the NHS is going to fold. It's going to it, it at the moment is buckling under the weight of just type two diabetes. So everything right. else change nothing apart from type 2 diabetes, which largely is a lifestyle condition. Yeah. You change that through diet and exercise, which you can in the majority mm-hmm. of cases, not in every single one, in the majority, and you put billions back into the NHS, which will save it. Right. That's all we need to do. Yeah. Eat better, move better, no type 2 diabetes, yeah. save the NHS. Right. Simple. So we can save that system that we rely on so that it can support people in the way that it needs to support people and not just propping up all of the people that actually shouldn't be there yeah and that it shouldn't need to support it's just that we did a really bad job of yeah uh, of educating them okay and we were really slow to take on board the the evidence that was there right in front of us right it it does it does make sense that if we are human bodies and we are so 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 similar in terms of our makeup then really, like say, the only differences we can generally get into us is how much of the sunlight are we getting and how much of the water are we putting in and what other carbons are we entering into our system and we will have dramatic effects through that. Mm-hmm. I, I saw this, um, this documentary and heard about uh, a number of ways that people who had cancer, like stage four cancer in the liver, recovered and uh, this doctor started to say there was like 75 different ways they identified people who'd had uh, radical remission and they said they didn't all do these 75 but they pulled it down to about nine i'm interested what your what your take on these would be um so they they pulled this nine down to say people who had radical remission from from cancer radically changed diet uh, from their perspective, they took control of their health, they followed their intuition, they were using herbs and supplements, releasing suppressed emotions, increasing positive emotions, embracing social support, deepening their spiritual connection, and they had a strong reason for living. What's, what's your take on that from your experience in nutrition and the way you think and, and that spirituality? Well, we're all going to die of something. Yeah. So what are we gonna what what's gonna kill us? And before you were reading the list, I kind of saw you like preparing the question, and I thought, right, okay, what's he gonna mention? <laughs> He's gonna mention exercise, right? Diet, right? Loneliness, stress, and purpose. That was the Can list. Can you say that, that again? Yeah. Uh, maybe <laughs> exercise, nutrition, loneliness, stress, and purpose. Like having a purpose in life. Yeah. Those were the five that I thought maybe you'd pull out. And I think uh-huh. that some of those, I think that, that essentially summarises those nine. Because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. there was a couple of points that I would probably summarise on the same stress yeah. And largely those those are those things. I think those yeah. those are the things that ultimately kill us. And, and if, you know, nutrition, I understand why people say, oh, it's really, really, really complicated. Um, exercise, I can understand why people go, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard work and where do I start and what kind of exercise should I do? Um, but actually, just boil it down. Do you know what? Just actually do yeah. some movement that you enjoy and that'll help stress. 
Do it with some people, then you won't be lonely. Uh, have some kind of purpose, so maybe pick some kind of a pick some kind of a goal. You know, it doesn't have to be to do with the exercise yeah. or the nutrition, but just pick some kind of goal in life, so you kind of know where you're going and you're not lost. You know, you have a direction. Mm. We all need a direction. We need a purpose. That's what yeah. we feed off. And so I think I think that they're the big five. And then the, the other one that was the addition, the sixth that I should have had, is that maybe that kind of spiritual right. connection right. and that realization that we can have a purpose, but also be part of something bigger. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's a really interesting list. I'd not I'd not come across it before, <laughs> but yeah, in my own in my own reflections, they were the kind of five sort of areas that I'd phenomenal. I would come up with. Yeah. Uh, and they're, they're the things they're, they're the big wins you know there's yeah. no magic bullet to uh, some kind of utopian life and perfectionism that doesn't <laughs> exist yeah. but there is some fairly easy wins and they are those those five six yeah. things and we're, but we're not uh, look at our society how good are we at nailing those right well let's look at and I'm doing this off the top of my head I've never thought about it before but let's look at loneliness yeah. Young people are more engaged with society now through social media than they've ever been, and so they are more lonely because we don't interact with real people in the way that we used to. So we're setting up a generation that's going to be lonely with maybe poorer social skills. You know, I'm not demonizing social media, but I'm saying we're going to learn how to use it. Yeah. And how well do we look after our old people? Well, compared to Asian culture, not mm-hmm. very well at all. Mm-hmm. You you retire, you're past it. Do you know, if you want to keep working, maybe work on the checkout in Tesco. We don't celebrate the wisdom of our old people in the mm. way that we should do. Mm. You know, th- those people should be in prime jobs, prime positions, because they've got 30, 40 years of wisdom yeah. and experience that we don't have, you know, sitting here in our, yeah. in our <laughs> 20s or 30s, you right. know. So... Uh, that would give people purpose and direction and it would deal with loneliness and it would um, and, and then you look at you look at stress we, we we've talked about this before you know away from being recorded but we uh, we feel the pressure to live in a certain way why like where does that where does that come from well this, right. this idea that we have to follow this particular path of life, maybe we don't need to do that. Sure, you've got to pay the bills, you've got to earn some money, you have to support the people around you, but you know, are you doing the thing that gives you value and purpose? Mm. And uh, yeah, I think the, the amount of stress that we create for ourselves that can just be eliminated almost by making the decision to eliminate it, mm. that would be tremendously powerful. Yeah, yeah. Nutrition and exercise, I think easy wins. Uh, you know, it's pretty obvious that if you eat rubbish all the time, you're not going to function as well as you could do if you ate whole food, real food that's not been processed, manufactured, put in a right. packet that has ingredients that you can't understand on the back of the packet. Fine. Exercise again. Just just move. Just move. <laughs> in a way that you enjoy. Yeah. It's not about being a triathlete. Right. You know, I love triathlon. <laughs> I love sport. Yeah. I love Olympism and elite performance. <laughs> but at the end of the day, just... Go and go and do some dancing. Yeah, you know, just walk. Go and clean a neighbor's house. <laughs> right, who's a bit ill or something like that. Yeah. Go just walk. That'd be fine. Um, they're my reflections, I guess, on the, those kind Love of that, mate. It's really good. It's really really good. So uh, this is this is fun. Let's do it yeah, again. It's been good. <laughs> this is really. Are we good. coming to an end? Yeah, I, I feel think like so. We could do it for another ages. I know. We anyone could, listening yeah, no. is probably like, whoa, <laughs> they've turned off. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this was quality, mate, and um, 
I think there's just loads, <laughs> just loads of what you said that I'm taking away. I love those five that you've you've pulled it down to. That's that's class, and it really taps into that bigger purpose that you're chatting about, which gets me excited. So, um, where can people find you? Find where you're where you're chatting. Uh, so I guess if you uh, on Instagram, yep, try Coach Joel, uh, or you can look at the squad and what we do. Uh, Heart Tree Jets Try uh, is a place to, to to go. Just Google Heart Tree Jets. Heart Tree Estates is our sponsor. So Heart Tree Jets Jolie Not Triathlon Squad. What an egotistical title for the squad that I am. That makes sense. Jolie Not runs a triathlon squad. I'm, yeah, there uh, we go. My mum came sense. up with it, so it's, it's uh, got to be fine. Smart. Uh, yeah, that's probably where to find us. Okay, great, mate. Loved it. I'll go with that good hand. I'll get the good hand this time. (laughs) (laughs) Jolina. Thank you so much for experiencing this week's episode, episode two. It means so much if you'd be up for leaving us a review, subscribing on your podcast app, and sharing this show. Thanks everyone.